and welcome to another Scott Swahey podcast. And today I'm joined by writer Ross Sayers. Hello, Ross. Hi, Alistair. Thanks very much for having me on. It's much appreciated. Uh, a pleasure. And um, we're here to talk mainly about your new novel or your latest novel, Daisy on the Outer Line, which is out now with Cranachan Publishing. Yep, came out in November, which uh, this at one one time feels like it just happened, but on the other hand, it feels like years ago. Yeah, the idea that time uh, uh, is relative has never felt more true, I think, than it does at the moment. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll also talk about your other books, because I've enjoyed all, all, all of your um, uh, uh, novels. But let's start with Daisy on the Outer Line, and how would you describe it before I start to talk about it? So it's a young adult novel um, told in Scots from the point of view of a 19-year-old girl named Daisy. She's going through a bit of a tough time of it. Um, Her stepdad's just passed away and she wasn't really in good terms with him anyway. And it sort of brought up a lot of other emotions in her. And she's not really been the best friend. She's not really been the best anything at the minute. And it sort of comes to head at her... Christmas night out at work and then she stumbles down drunk to the Glasgow subway and ends up going back 16 days in time and I don't know how far to go with it and then she has to basically work out how she's going to get back to normality whatever that is. I think that's a great place to leave it for now because we don't want to have any spoilers but there's a lot in there already because as you see the central character or the narrator Daisy is um, she's pretty extreme to begin with understandably so she's going through a lot lot of changes in her life but um was it difficult to write someone who to begin with at least isn't very pleasant it, y- yes no it wasn't so hard to to write her it was but i was aware while i was writing it that i thought god this isn't good. like people tend to want likable characters in their novels and i'm like I'm, i know i'm instantly taken off like half a star off a lot of people's reviews because they don't like Daisy. Um, and I remember when I first showed it to the publisher, I, you know, I, I, I said Daisy's not very likable. Uh, but then when they were, when they came back and said, yeah, she's, yeah, we hate her. Yeah, we, she's really unlikable. I was like, oh, well, and I felt really defensive for her. I was like, well, she's not that bad. So I, I think I tried, uh, I think when I redrafted it, I tried to make her a little more likable every time I redrafted it. But, yeah, she's she's not very likable, but it, it didn't really bother me because I knew always I knew where she was where she was heading. Um, but I guess yeah, if you just if you just picked up the first if you just picked up the book, read the first five chapters, and then decided you know she was never going to get any better, then I could see <laughs> I could see your point. Not that I want anyone to do that, but no. But I think that's really interesting because you do stay with her even in those beginning you know the chapters. There's something about her that. You do empathise. Um, you might not forgive some of the actions, but you can kind of explain why she's perhaps acting in this way. And I think most people, if they're honest, have had times in their life where they look back and they kind of their behaviour has been less than uh, ideal. I would think maybe that's just me. But, no, um, no, 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 same here. Um, plus, she's 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 nineteen, so yeah. that's a wee bit of an excuse. But no, I think we've all been there. Um, yeah, looking back and, and regretting things, and so I think maybe that maybe people, hopefully, people will see a little bit of themselves in Daisy. Maybe not too much, but they'll probably maybe recognise a little bit of that that sort of regret over, 
your actions. It also reminded me of, and I cannot um, at the moment remember who said it, but there was someone um, writing about Scottish literature and how it maybe differed to wider um, English literature and saying that uh, almost in English literature, the kind of um, extreme characters or the damaged characters are, you know, are often to the sidelines. They're maybe the friends that need saved by the same, you know, by the main character and all those kind of things. But in Scotland, they tend to be the folk we write about. And it, that's what it reminded me of a bit, that uh, here's someone who um, a, begins to... Well, she's got. She's literally got to go through a journey to use that term. I think we can use it in this case, definitely. And uh, and I think you do stick with her. I mean, I don't think you would read. People would react to the book as they have if you if you didn't kind of stick with her. Um, I was reading uh, just before we met up on your website that the idea of this, the congerm, started with a picture you took in an empty subway station saying, write a horror story about Glasgow Underground. Is that right? Yes. I used to... So when I lived in Glasgow, I used to get subway a lot, and generally Cowcadden Station was the station that I got off and on at most because it was where my work was. Mm-hmm. It's also just a handy station when you're in... If you say, I think, I think that night I was actually at a book launch. I couldn't tell you who it was for, but it was a book launch at Waterstone, Sophie Hall Street. Yeah. So obviously getting home uh, from there, Kirkcadden's in the closest station. And I don't know, I, I, there's, it's probably not unique just to Kirkcadden's, but as as the one that I visited the most, there's something a bit spooky about it, at, especially at night. Um, I think it's the fact that it's got, it's one of those uh, stations with just the one platform. Yeah. Like no divider either side, and there's something about it. And it, obviously then it's very quiet. Like for being in, just off the centre of town, it's it's pretty much dead a lot of the time. And I did think, what like I I really wanted to use it in a story, and I'm not really a horror writer per se, and horror's not really my bag. So, I, uh, but I do like time travel, so that's that's where it stemmed from. Yeah, I mean, you could say this is a bit of a horror story in that what Daisy has to go through is you know pretty frightening at times. But as you say, there's the time travelling strand to it, and were you daunted by writing a time-travelling novel? The why I ask that is I have found in the past that people who have either made time-travelling films or time-travelling novels, there's a lot of people willing to try and point the bits where it doesn't work. That couldn't happen because that person would... But, I, you know, do you know what I mean? Yes. Um, I, on, I sort of cheated in that it's not like a a huge time travel story and it doesn't travel over years and years and years and that kind of thing. I didn't need to like plot out, oh, can this character meet their own grandchild and all this kind of thing. I just had to plot out these 60 days. So on that, on that hand, I, I, I did sort of cheat and just take the easy way out. But I still have, there, there are still bits that I do find myself thinking, oh, like now, I, no, I don't think anyone's really read it that many times that they've pointed out anything, but I have noticed things that I would potentially go back and just explain <laughs> if I could try and explain. But there are bits, in, there, there is one or two bits where I'm like, oh yeah, that doesn't, I don't know if that would really make sense if she could be there and she could be there. But, but no, no one's pulled me up on it yet. But I would imagine, you know, if it become, if it, if it somehow became a bestseller overnight, then I would, I could, I think I would be happy enough to take a few criticisms about it. The sci-fi forums would start to kind of fill up. <laughs> 
I don't think I've reached. I don't think I've reached them just yet. But actually, it's a very clever um, idea because when I kind of read the synopsis for the novel, that uh, there was time traveling involved, and um, it was using the underground and knowing the, the underground is you know hundreds of years old, um, not hundreds, but you know over a hundred years old. Um, that it would be back to periods and something like that. Mm-hmm. But actually. It kind of wrong foots you a little bit because it's such a short period of time. Was that always the intention? It was. I think part of it is just obviously that would have probably included a lot of research, which yeah. <laughs> is, uh, is, is, is something I sort of try to avoid with, with making all my work you know, contemporary. That just basically means that I don't really enjoy the whole research part of it. But also, it, I think this also stemmed from my favourite kind of time travel stories are ones that, that don't go back too far. You know, I, I like people having access to technology and I like I like, I like like those sort of contained stories where the character can meet themselves and, and you, you see the same thing from a couple of different points of view. So it was, it was my main aim that I could... Um, I wanted to have the audience or the, the readers experience a certain amount of time and then to see that that time repeated again near the end of the, the novel, yeah. um, which I then had to work out how to do in sort of a short period of time because essentially when, when there's a, you've got a time travel story, everything before the time travel is sort of just the stuff before the time travel. Like when people pick up the book until Daisy goes back in time, I think everyone's just waiting for Daisy to go back in time. So no one really, really enjoys that first bit because they're all waiting to get to the next bit. So that's why I had, you have to sort of balance that. We have to put in enough stuff at the start that can then pay off later, but also try and get to the time travel as soon as possible. Yeah. I mean, the two two films I was thinking about, um, well, Back to the Future was one, because you have that in your own lifetime. I don't know if it is a, a time-travelling film or not, but um, It's a Wonderful Life came to mind because there are lessons to be learned. Um, what kind of influence did, influences did you have when writing it? Well, it's it's funny you mention those two because Back to the Future and It's a Wonderful Life are pretty much my two favourite films of all time. So, <laughs> and uh, I, but obviously I'm very aware that like I, I was sort of when you're writing time travel at this point, it's very hard to be completely original, and you really you're 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 lifting from different bits, so from different um, other books and, and films. So I do name check. I believe I name check both Back to the Future and It's a Wonderful Life in the book, which. Is a lot, I think it's a, a wee bit easier to do when you've got a character who's kind of uh, pop culture savvy and, and she can just drop them in and it makes it look like I'm not. Like, hopefully it makes it seem like I'm not trying to like just drop them in and you can be like, oh, well, it's Daisy that's saying yeah. that it's a bit like Bad to Future. Like, it's funnier when she says, oh, it's a bit like Bad to Future this or whatever. Um, so, yeah, it's def- def- they were definitely both on my mind because I, I wanted to... I wanted to get across that sort of excitement of Back to the Future with the the redemption of of It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. And I guess I think every everyone who's coming up with a a time travel story has to choose the rules that they're going to set for their time travel. I think every time travel uh, story tends to be a little bit different in how they deal with it. You know, can't, can't like if your character goes back in time to a previous time. Um, can those characters coexist? And like in Back to the Future, when Mario goes back, he can then his actions can then erase the future. Yeah. Whereas in some other stories, 
if you go back in time and like everything has already happened, so anything that you do in the past will have like has already happened, and that's why it happened in the future, which is sort of the rule that that's sort of the more the side of it that I went for, and that when Daisy goes back in time, some of the things that she does then impact the future, but they've already happened in the first part of the book. If that makes any sense, it uh, it does. Um, I, I was I was just wondering if. Well, one, that kind of uh, shows how uh, you have to get into the mindset of time travelling to kind of work out, you know, how you're going to approach it. But also, was, were there other um, influences that you brought as well, apart from those two um, films? Um, I think I read, uh, not not in terms of time travel, but I read um, Buddha Da oh, yeah, by yeah. Anne Donovan. It's the first time I'd read it. I was, I, um, I'm really uh, slow in catching up with a lot of these things, but I read that and uh, it sort of gave me that um, excitement to write in Scots again. Because uh, I don't know, because I find sometimes when you read Scots books, like I can say this, even as a Scots writer, I do understand that Scots does put some people off. Um, and it's just about, I, I try and make mine as sort of easy to read as possible. So I try and, you know, it's, I know it can be tricky trying to first for reading Scots where you're not um, that acclimatised to, to reading Scots. So I try and um, bridge that gap between English and Scots. Um, because one I was thinking of, um, I don't know if you've read Neil Gaiman's Neverwhere. No, I haven't. Uh, well, the reason that it reminds me of that is one, a lot of it takes part under a different London, which is all underground. So you've got that kind of thing. But there's also this idea that people get lost and are no longer recognised and um, become almost ghosts, even though they aren't, you know, as yet, you know, they just become, I think what Neil Game is trying to do is say that it's easy for people to be just ignored and that thing. And I think there's a strand of that as well um, going on in the Daisy uh, on the the outer line. But you said there about um, the language used and um, the use of Scots. And I always think with any book, whether it's Train Spotting or whether it's uh, Buddha Da, which is a terrific novel where three very distinct voices are heard because it's split up into mm-hmm. three characters mm-hmm. and absolutely stand on their own, but are still, you know, uh, really read. The thing is, does it bring you up short or do you read it through and quite quickly get into it? And I think that's what you do with your book, not just Daisy on the Outer Line, but also um, Sunny and Me as well. Um, so, Thank you. Well, let's, let's go back to uh, your first novel, which is um, Mary's the Name, which I happen to have a copy of here. Now, that was written... Uh, when did you write that? Gosh, I don't know. How long ago was that? So I wrote it... Well, so it was written sort of between 2015 and 2016. It came out... In fact, it came out... Yesterday was the four-year anniversary of the launch. So four, four years ago it was released. And I, it was your debut novel, is that right? That, mm-hmm. So how long had you been working on it? Because, you know, a lot of people um, talk about, well, I worked on this for a long time and then it came together and I got it published. Or did it come together pretty quickly? Yeah, it, it actually was fairly, fairly quick. I have a really boring backstory as an author. Most, like a lot of authors are like, oh, I had this 
crazy job and then this crazy job and then I had all these life experiences and then I helped me to become an author whereas I'm like the sort of really boring cookie cutter route to publishing and I did the ma- I did my master's in creative writing at Stone Uni and that's when I wrote Mary's Name that's when I wrote sort of the first draft of it Gra- I graduated that would have been end of 2015 submitted the book around a few places and sort of April time I signed the the deal with the publisher and then by the next February it came out so essentially like, I, I, I totally understand and I feel so lucky that I have been yeah, like luck, like luck plays a part as much as talent, I think, and I've definitely shaded it with the luck in that not many people write a book and then get like write their first book and then get it published. Most most writers will have several books, several attempts. So yeah, I was I was extremely lucky um, that I wrote it, and then about a year and a half later, it was uh, it was on the shelves. And as you said, you write uh, in what's called the YA, the young adult category. Was that something you wanted to do from the beginning? It wasn't really something I thought about. It was just it sort of I sort of just kind of stumbled into it because there's not like a huge. I wouldn't say there's a huge uh, Scottish YA scene. There, obviously, there are um, plenty doing it, but I think when most people think of young adult, their mind instantly jumps to something like Twilight or The Hunger Games certainly mostly uh, American writers. And it was re- it was really just when I was writing Sunny Me that it sort of came to me that what I tend to write tends to fit into young adult. So mm. the, the younger characters and the themes and and the the fact that young adult tends to have a lot of plot and a lot of character, uh, a lot of dialogue in it, which is yeah. something I just tend to write anyway. Um, I really enjoy writing dialogue. Like I, I'll, I'll tend to, you'll tend, to, I would hope that in most of my books, though, there's more pages of dialogue than there are full pages of descriptions of stuff. Mm-hmm. Not as not as good at describing, but I like to think I've got an ear for dialogue. And yeah, I just sort of stumbled into it, and especially in, in Scots, there's not there's not really much why in Scots, so. I guess I, I like to think I identify like a tiny, very, very, very small niche. Um, yep. Now, hopefully, I, I, I've sort of taken a claim for Scots YA, and, and hopefully, you, hopefully, it'll inspire others to. Well, to absolutely, jump in. and your publisher Cranachan, they kind of specialise, don't they, mm-hmm. in YA books, which is fantastic. They do incredible work, I think. Um, so, did that feel like your natural home once they published uh, Mary's the name? Yes. Uh, Again, maybe it was just it, when you're a first-time writer, you do feel, I think, a certain sense of gratitude to to the publisher for, for taking to the publisher for taking a huge chance on you. Because I, I, obviously, I'm still fairly unknown at the minute. But even back four years ago, I was I was, I was complete unknown. Um, and they they take they take chance chances on debut children's writers all the time, which is incredible. And it's not something that a lot of publishers do. Yeah. So yeah, I think we're extremely lucky to have them. And again, they've only been around, I think maybe only about six months to a year longer than than me, if you know what I mean. So like they had started up, and then a year later they published me. So again, got very lucky with the timing there. Um, and also the fact that, I mean, not that this is the main thing, but when I was writing Sunny Me, I did think, oh, but I, like I'm writing in Scots. That that like that that's just how I feel. Um, the characters would speak. I was also filling it up with, you know, quite a lot of strong language 
and it hadn't really occurred to me like is this young adult I think if I went to pretty much any other publisher with a young adult book in Scots with a decent amount of swearing in it I would have just been sort of laugh, <laughs> laughed at the offices um, whereas they were like yeah that's that's absolutely fine and even since then I do get people saying to me like but like I thought you could, I thought you couldn't spare too much in young adult or whatever. And I don't know, it's just chronic adult have a problem with it, which is great because that's what kids. Absolutely. It sounds really basic, but kids want to read that because they don't want to feel like they're being spoken down to. And if you don't speak to them at their level, they're just going to go out and, and find other books that do. Um, cause I think a young adult, especially like kids at that age, they always want to read what they're not supposed to read. Yeah. Like when I was a kid, I didn't want to read. Like if someone said, "Oh, this book is for your age level," I'd be like, "Right, can I read the book that's up from that age level?" You know, if I'm if I was fifteen, I wouldn't want to just watch fifteen certificate films. Mm-hmm. All I want to do is watch eighteen. So it's about your job as sort of a young adult writer is to keep their attention, which is hard to hard enough to get in the first place yeah. because there's so much else out there. And um, so it's it's all about making sure that they see themselves reflected and they see that they're not being spoken down to and that this stuff is is, better, is is essentially better than anything else they could find that would be more adult or whatever. And that it's not being... Like this, like schools aren't choosing these books because to keep them at a level, like they're sort of talking up to them, if anything, I like to think. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you, I mean, you mentioned Sunny and Me there, which I also have here, um, which is, it does exactly that. You know, it's set, it's a bit... I think I described it as kind of being in the in between our years. So you're in your teenage years and absolutely captures um, that time uh, in someone's life perfectly. It, again, going back to films, um, it, I could have, you know, reminded me of John Hughes movies or even Gregory's Girl or um, a fantastic film called Brick that Ryan Johnson did um, set at that time. Um, how did you approach writing uh, Sunny and Me? Also, oh, just before I answer that, Arthur, it's funny you mention Gregory's Girl because I hadn't seen Gregory's Girl prior to to writing the book, and my publisher said, "Oh, you should, uh, it's a bit like Gregory's Girl." So obviously, I went and watched it. It was obviously brilliant. It's a classic. But it's funny when we were sort of trying to pitch Sunny Me to certain places, certain book festivals or whatever, or trying to think of comparisons, and all we really had was I think we settled on. I think at some point it was between like, oh, it's like Gregory's Girl meets Still Game or Gregory's Girl meets In Between Us yeah. or something like that. And it just, I think it, I like to think it, it sort of showed that there is a sort of a lack of stories about Scottish teenagers, especially currently because, I mean, Gregory's Girl came out in 70... Oh, 80, early 80s. Oh, was it? Oh, was it? Yeah. I guess a long time ago now. And the only other thing we have to compare it to is like, still game which is obviously nothing like the characters aren't exactly teenagers so it shows you that we don't really have something like that you know like I, I really think that Scotland is missing out on like a like a teenage show like it's set in school because obviously in betweeners for for, for mm-hmm. England and then you've got Dairy Girls I just think there's there's an untapped market there um, for, for someone to come into if any uh, TV producers are watching I think that's probably true. I mean, you think about um, the richness of the language, which you capture, I have to say, in, particularly in Sunny and Me, of how um, people speak to each other at that time and the way they treat each other. It, it's a, it would be a rich uh, vein for 
those kind of shows, yeah. Maybe you're the person to write. <laughs> well, someone wants to pay me to do it, obviously I'll do it. <laughs> um, but you were saying about approaching writing it. It's tricky. I don't, I don't really remember how the idea came. It was, I guess I just thought I wanted to write something set in a school, something like with the characters like people in my high school. Yeah. And I knew I wanted a, I knew I wanted a mystery in it. I knew I wanted something like a strong hook about like a murder or something. And uh, yeah, because it's it's, it's, a, it's based essentially on my high school. I just changed the name a little bit because um, I just didn't feel like there was anything out there. That kids really, that I think particularly Scottish kids really saw them, can really see themselves in. Although I find that even though for, I realise that for an author, I'm relatively young. Mm-hmm. But even then, it's now been, uh, it's coming up in like 11 years since I left high school. So obviously, I'm, even though it's a, even though it's a new book and it's set currently, I realise that I can never completely get that right because t- in, Ten years is like an ice age in high school terms. Like, yeah. like technology has completely changed. Everything's totally changed. So you can really only do your best sort of assumption of what high school is. Because I try not to focus too much on the technology, even though they, they do have phones and that, and that does come into that is important in, in the plot. Yeah. I did try and focus more on just the the things that hopefully never change, like who you fancy and the bullying and and just the stuff that. That really happens, and that yeah, unfortunately, the friendship. It's generally the bad stuff that doesn't change. <laughs> yeah, but the the one that, thing that sticks out for me is the friendship made, and mm-hmm. often the friendships made at that time are the ones that really endure and mean the most. And a lot of the things that happen at that time um, are the things that that mean the most. Um, recently, uh, there was a piece uh, in in a newspaper about about just that how the things that you fall in love with in your teen years are often tattooed with you, for they stay with you for the rest of your life. And I think that gets that completely how, um, and it's in Daisy as well, is how kind of painful, I mean, in a kind of sensitive way that can be to all your senses that that, that mm-hmm. time, I think it captures it well. Now, you also mentioned about um, concentrating on uh, dialogue rather than description. And I would say, they're all all three of your novels. You capture the character and the, the characters stand alone, and you get their voice, which must be difficult because Mary's eight, I think, mm-hmm. and then uh, the, as we say, the kind of in between her years of the teen, mid teen years with them, and then as you said, Daisy's um, nineteen. Um, so how did? Does the character and the way that they speak come to you naturally? Is I guess what I'm saying. I think a lot of it is is just writing in the voice, and the longer you write in a particular voice, the more you get to know the voice. Um, I find that I'll write a draft, and then when I'm redrafting, there's a lot. Of, like by the end of a draft, I'll generally have the voice down, but there's, there'll be stuff at the start, and I'll I'll read it and I'll think. The character would never say that, or they would never say it in that way. I don't know what I was like. I don't know what I was thinking. I obviously didn't have the character down in the first yeah. few chapters, and maybe I didn't get them until then. And then even then, sometimes when you you know you'll be re- you'll have redrafted it loads of times, and there'll still be things that you'll go, "Oh, actually, the character wouldn't do that." So it's just about learning the character because it's very hard to come up with like a fully fledged character in your mind. Um, 
and f- I guess for other, I guess every author will have their own way of doing it. They might some. I, I know some authors. Um. Oh, I can't. I can't remember the woman's name. The woman who wrote Queenie. Oh yeah, something or something. Um, she was on a podcast I was, listen- I was listening to, and she says that she plans out all her characters' um, star signs. Right. And their horoscopes and bases their personality right now, which is obviously genius. I really should start doing that. Whereas I usually I'm, I'm probably just I don't know if it's just laziness or just I'm just too excited to start writing. I'm generally I'll just I'll just start writing and I'll just start writing the character and sort of working them out on the way. Because obviously as an author you have the benefit of going back and redrafting it um a hundred times if you want, which is something you obviously can't do. Like in um, like a t- like a TV show, you know, once you start that that show, you can't go back and change the first few episodes. Um, yeah. As much as I'm sure many TV shows would like to, do. so you, you do have that that advantage. And so I guess I'll have the idea of the character, and I'll just write my way into them, um, and then redrafting helps me shape them. And I mean that kind of goes back to um, Daisy because you said when you had got the feedback that um, she really wasn't unlikable and you started to get a bit defensive about that. Mm-hmm. And is that because, in a way, you've you've been with her, but also you know the backstory. It's a bit like um, a, an actor who, you know, mm-hmm. decides to build the backstory behind their character and only 10% is ever maybe used. Is that a similar type of thing? Yes, I think so. Um, again, I don't plot out... I may, I maybe don't put out everyone's birthdays and their horoscopes and stuff, but I definitely, you, you, every author will be the same, you know. However long a book takes you to read, the author will have spent, you know, a hundred times that, um, that many hours with, with those characters. Particularly like, you know, if you read a chapter and it's like a scene, you know, it takes you a few minutes to read that. Whereas that, when the author was writing that scene, hours and hours and hours and hours and hours spent redrafting that and the authors lived in that scene and the authors lived every moment of that it feels like yeah you you do get to know your your character so well and you've spent so much time with them and then you know you read it back and you go and you you remember as an author you remember all the time you spent crafting that scene and all the little details that maybe you didn't put it down on the page if they are there or were there in previous drafts um and it's 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 a strange thing because obviously how how your character is perceived is totally out of your hands once it goes yeah. to the printers. Um, you you don't get to give you don't get to be sitting next to the the reader when they go. Oh, I don't know about that, but you don't you can't be sitting next and go. Oh no, no no that makes sense. I just didn't say. But three weeks three weeks before that she actually did this and that kind of thing. So yeah, it's it's it can be a bit daunting to let your characters go like that, but. And yeah, I think I, I think any author is going to be defensive, even about their. Well, it depends how bad their baddies are, but even even the baddies and the people that you're not meant to like, I think you, you're defensive about them as well. I, I mean, I have spoken to a few crime writers who say that way. You know, some of their characters, even the villains, will do some despicable things, but they say, "Ah, oh, but you don't understand. I've had a hard life, <laughs> all that kind of stuff." It just struck me that we've gone from. Um, Mary being about eight and then mid-teens and now 19. So if the follow-up path is the next book going to be, I mean, it's, you're going to run out of being called young adults quite soon. Well, see, this, this is the thing. It's Young adult is essentially, it's meant to be, like, obviously there's, there's no set rules for it, but young adult tends to be characters who are between about 13 and 18. 
Yeah. Whereas I would think that I've kind of shown that you don't necessarily need to be specific at those ages because obviously Mary's eight, Daisy's 19. Um, the book, the next YA book that I'm writing, the character is 18 mm-hmm. um, and potentially going off to uni, which I think, again, is not something you see too much in young adult because it tends to be focused on the high school years and then it's like, when head off to high school, that's like the end. Yeah. You never see you never see what happens after that. It's like they have their perfect moment at the end of high school where they they learn who they are, and then that's that's the end. So uh, hopefully, I'm going to explore that a bit. And how you how you because you, you might find yourself in uh, in high school, but then you go to university or you go out to a job, and then you, your personality changes once again because you really don't. I don't think you have certainly. I I didn't have a grasp of who I was at the end of high school. I still don't, but. Um, it definitely, I just find it changes at every stage of life. So I think there's still plenty of stuff to be written about that. Oh, no, there certainly is. I certainly is. Just when, when I was going through the three there, I noted that, that uh, things were getting older. And again, going back to the language, I think it's easy. So it's interesting to reflect on the three because with Mary's the name, you've got a young uh, speaker. And again, you capture that young voice of someone who seems to be trying her best to speak as she believes she should speak. You know, there's that expectation. It reminded me of um, Jim, James Kelman's Kieran Smith Boy, where Kieran Smith is always trying to speak the correct way that he's been told at school and all of that stuff. And then by Sonny and Me, there is that kind of move to uh, Scots, but there's also that thing about you speak differently in the classroom perhaps than you do in the playground, that kind of thing. And then by the time you get to Daisy, um, she's in the workplace or at least, you know, and, and speaking how she likes. Um, do you think about it like as carefully as that about how everyone is going to speak or is, is it just, as you say, just spending time with them, the, the voice comes through? Yeah, I'll, I'll think about that. Because so yeah, with with Mary, yeah, I had her speak in a sort of you know prop like more properly than her grandpa speaks because he's obviously been her main influence in her life and he's very much of the thinking or of the generation that he's in. It. I'm fairly sure I wrote this in the book that he tells her don't speak like me, don't pick up bad habits like me because that's not going to serve you when you leave school and that kind of thing, which is still uh, an attitude that that lingers to this day um, yeah. Yeah. about, you know, got to speak properly if you're going for an interview or anything like that or in a professional setting. Sunny Me, yeah, again, I, I just, I, I didn't go into Sunny Me thinking this explicitly, this is definitely have, has to be in Scots. It was just, I'm writing about these characters and they're not going to speak in the, the Queen's English. Um, and yeah, uh, and it's, it, I do enjoy the the contrast you can get from that. You have the boys speaking one way and then you have the teacher speaking another way and then you see that the parents speak more like the kids and that kind of thing when they're not in the workplace and that kind of thing. Yeah. And Daisy, again, it was the same thing. It was the... Because she's seeing the counsellor at the start. That's right, yeah. And the counsellor speaks in, in sort of your standard English and I, th- I, I hope that gave like a nice contrast at the start. And then when she goes to her work, you don't actually see Daisy working, but you see her speaking to her friends at work who don't actually recognise her. And they're using 
their customer voice on her because they don't know that that's their pal. So they treat her like a customer and they put on their fancy voice. So, yeah, it's definitely something that you think about because, yeah, when you're writing in Scotch, you give your main character, you, you, you know, you assign characters, right? They're going to speak in Scots, they're going to speak in Scots. But then you then have to, you tend to assign other characters not to speak in Scots because it would probably be a bit unrealistic if every character was speaking in Scots. So it's about getting that, that, um, that balance right. And, and yeah, there's a lot, a lot of fun to be had with, with characters who speak different levels of Scots. And so like at the start, um, Daisy is on a first date. She's on a Tinder date with a guy and he doesn't know the word pervy. So he doesn't know where they're going. Yeah. And he has, he has no idea. He just thinks it's dating and he turns up and he's a bit confused. So there's, there's fun to be had with it, I think. Yeah, I, I think it's what you, you do so well. Go back to this idea of getting the characters' voices is that everyone is an individual and they're not just in what they do, but the way that they speak as well. So it's not you saying, well, I'm going to write this in Scots and it, that's across the board using the same way that, you know, because you wouldn't do that in any other way. You're thinking about how that individual speaks down to many, many factors, you know, that, that in their life, the backgrounds or, you know, where they happen to be at that time or the situation they find themselves. And I think, uh, yeah, I think you do that better than 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 many writers. Thank you. Um, so you said there uh, about what you're going to be doing next. Can you see any anything more about it or you want to keep that close to your chest? Which is fine if you are. Um, well, I mean, I really, really is just, I've just started out with it. But the, the next uh, young adult book, I've got the idea for it. It's about... Again, yeah, I can't. I, mean, I really can't give too much away because oh, I've really not written much of it. I've really, no, because I've just not written that much of it, so it would be impossible. But it's it's going to be, a, I think, about young woman, eighteen, leaves. It's it's essentially like the start of the book that I've written. It's it's yeah, it's, it's that moment where high school ends, and that's where all the films tend to finish, mm-hmm. and it doesn't set you up for what it's like to go to uni. So it's about this girl. She's like, right, well. I don't. I don't really know where the. There's no roadmap from here. So it's about her moving off to uni for the first time, and making friends and joining societies and that kind of thing. I'm just thinking the way it's been this year, that might seem like historical fiction by the time it gets put out. The idea that people go to uni, <laughs> and it's it's, uh, it's it's so tricky because last year, I think a lot of writers, maybe March April time, were like right, we'll just no mention it or. We'll just set our book because I did. I wrote a book last year, which is sort of in the ether at the minute, um, and I just set it in 2019 to save any headaches. Whereas now it's getting to a stage where it's like, well, it's very because obviously no one really wants to read about no. coronavirus. Like if you if someone released a, a book about I don't know, like something set during these these times, everyone would go, we don't want to read about that right now. We want escapism, but it is getting to the point where. How do we not mention it? Like, obviously, I'm guessing the authors must have had this dilemma during like the world wars. Like, people didn't want to read about the wars, but how do you not? How do you not mention it? So, obviously, it's going to be a lot like everything's hopefully touchwood. It's going to be a lot easier once anything gets back to close to normal. But it does feel like, as a writer, you're sort of stuck or, or a contemporary writer because if you set a book this year, it's either mention the coronavirus or just pretend it didn't happen at all, which would be very strange if you read a book that was set during 1942 
and there was just no mention of the war and everything. Everyone was going around, uh, along happily. You'd think, what what is going on? This is like yeah. an alternate alternate um, existence. So is that, I, it's, it's a tricky. I uh, was listening to a drama, a crime drama on Radio 4 the other day, and it was the first time I've heard references to um, could you use the hand gel and could you come in here with your masks on and stuff. And it was quite odd, but in the same way you thought, yeah, at least someone's kind of facing up to the, the here and now and as they're doing it. I think the soaps are doing it. Um, uh, of course. I caught a bit of Corey and... Yeah, they've all got the masks on and, and social distancing and that kind of thing. Oh, that's interesting. So that, so some people are um, facing up to what, how they're doing things. Well, I hope it won't be too long before um, we can uh, meet up at a book launch or something like that in the flesh. That would be nice. Oh, it would be lovely. Now, Ross, thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. No, thank you, Ross. Honestly, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me and... Uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for this. Thanks for all your support about the books. My pleasure. And we'll be back soon with someone completely different. Cheers. Mm-hmm.